You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room. My name is Tess. And I'm Lauren. Hey. Okay, so we are doing part two of our Q&A. So we asked you guys questions on Instagram, and you guys DM'd us a ton of ideas. So we will just get right into part two. So the first question is, are there specific ingredients you would say to look out for in skincare? And obviously this list could go on and on. And there are different standards. If you follow the philosophy of clean skincare, there's a longer list, but a few we just wanted to highlight. If you are just starting to get into skincare and just starting to turn over bottles and look at ingredients, a few we would mention are... First, drying alcohols. So this can be a little dicey since there are certain fatty alcohols that can actually benefit the skin. So like your sterile or your settle alcohol, those actually have a lot of benefits for the skin. But when it comes to like denatured alcohol or an alcohol that has a number next to it, those tend to be the drying alcohols you really want to avoid. Mm-hmm. And the next we'll mention is fragrance. I think this one is so overlooked because it's so common to have fragrance in products. And especially I notice it now when I watch YouTube, when people, and no offense to anybody, I would have done the same thing before I got my license, but girls and guys, when they're describing these products that they really like, a lot of times, like half of the answer of why they like it is because of the smell. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, it smells like cucumbers and that is all a part of a company wanting to tap into your experience with the product, make you have that relationship with it so you love it and you want to keep buying it. But it doesn't have benefits for the skin. There are certain essential oils that can benefit the skin and certain extracts from plants that can benefit the skin. But I would say... And essential oils, that's a whole nother dicey topic. And I know it's very controversial among estheticians, but I will say we're talking about the fragrance that is, you know, actual added fragrance and perfume. Mm -hmm. And it's more common than people would think, but I would say just avoid it. It's going to be sensitizing to the skin. And even if you've used something over time, it can start to cause inflammation and irritation. And this even goes for things like your laundry detergent. I see a really classic, like, rashy type of inflammation in skin. And I, it just makes me ask, do you, no offense, but do you use Tide Pods Mm -hmm. or Tide or any traditional brand of laundry detergent? And usually like that is it. And it's just so classic in how it presents itself. So, and a lot of times people say like, you know, I have used Tide forever. It's never been a problem for me. That's the thing about inflammation which not all inflammation is bad, but when it becomes unbalanced over time, that's when you can start to develop certain sensitivities. So I would say it's not an ingredient 
you want in your skincare. Yeah, because it builds up. You're not always going to yeah. have an immediate reaction to things. It can build up within the skin and then and then create an issue like, you know, <clears throat> a few weeks or months or however long down the road. So fragrance, as much as you can stay away from it. Yeah. And then next we wanted to mention comedogenic oils, mostly mm-hmm. because I feel like oil has become such a trend in skincare. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a big part of that, again, is that experience you have with a product. And a lot of people love the luxurious feel of an oil, mm-hmm. but I see a lot of serums that are blended with mixtures of oils. I see a lot of products like makeup removers that are too comedogenic and they don't rinse clean or just, you know, products that are based around like coconut oil, which tends to be very comedogenic. Mm -hmm. So I would say use oil sparingly. Look to your lighter oils. Some of my favorites are squalane and jojoba. Those are very similar to the skin's actual oil composition. So it's more readily absorbed, but I would say just avoid those heavy oils and really look at ingredients because again, they're being snuck into a lot of things like serums and your makeup remover. And I think it can really cause a problem for, for the skin. And then lastly, I'll just, Oh, I have two more actually. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) The next one is kind of those like scratchy exfoliants. So I think the classic example is St. Ives. I know it's just such a thing in the (laughs) esthetician community to hate St. Ives. Yeah. Which is fine because it is a walnut scrub. Terrible. Yeah, it's just very scratchy for the skin. It's going to cause those little micro tears over time, which you don't want. Mm -hmm. So with your exfoliants, I would say you want a very round, (coughs) even particle. Mm -hmm. And I would just avoid, you know, things that could be uneven. And then lastly, we'll mention sodium lauryl sulfate, which is pretty classic in a lot of cleansers and drugstore cleansers. It is just an ingredient that's too stripping. It gives a product that really nice like foaming action. And I feel like people are starting to learn you don't want to feel dry and tight after using a cleanser. But I feel like especially back in the day, like we really looked to that feeling. We liked it because it just made us feel clean. But SLS is one thing I would say to avoid. And I don't think all sulfates are bad. I know that can be a little controversial, but I think there are a lot of new types that are being developed that can give a product a really nice foaming action. For example, like sodium cocal sulfate, which Mm -hmm. is derived from coconuts. Um, So different from coconut oil, but it does give like that nice rich lather without stripping the skin. Yeah. And I think that if you guys are in doubt on any ingredient, there's there's plenty of websites where you can search for certain ingredients. So like one of my favorites is, um, let me look this up and make sure I tell you guys the right, but it's inkydecoder.com. And let me make sure it's not the inky decoder, but anyway, so it's this website. Yeah. So inky decoder, we'll link it in the show notes, but it's I N C I D E C O D R. Yeah.com. And you can type a product or ingredient and you can search for it and it will give you a rundown basically of what it is, where it's derived from. Is it good for the skin? Is it bad for the skin? Um, you know, is it controversial? Like it gives you a lot of, um, different, um, information about a certain ingredient so you can make 
uh, an informed decision. So definitely look it up. If you if you have a question about a certain ingredient, like maybe you see an alcohol, but you don't know if it's a fatty alcohol or if it's mm-hmm. one that's bad for your skin, um, just look it up and it'll tell you. I lo- that's such a good resource. I didn't even know about that. Oh, really? One. Yeah. yeah. It's such a cool, such a cool um, website. And I use it all the time because <gasps> Tess and I were just saying like, we don't, you know, we can, we have such a base of knowledge about ingredients. However, there's so many ingredients, yes. so many different names, honestly, for the same ingredient that sometimes you just don't know. So look it up and um, it'll help you make that that educated choice. Yeah, no, companies are getting smarter. And one mm-hmm. thing I didn't mention is silicones and things like makeup, but yeah. com- companies have recognized people know silicones can be harmful. So they've come up with all these other names. Mm-hmm. So really anything with cone in it tends yeah. to be kind of a barrier causing ingredient, but that's such a great resource. And then also Paula's Choice is a really good one for just looking up specific ingredients and learning more about them. I use that all the time in school. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this is kind of skipping ahead to a question. We're going to, we'll go back to the other one, Tess, but um, somebody asked about Paula's Choice products. Yeah. And um, first of all, like Tess said, her website is an amazing resource for all things, skincare ingredients and everything. And her products, I've tried one eye cream and Tess hasn't tried any Paula's Choice products. However, um, it is a professional grade skincare. So, um, so that's great. And it's really affordably priced. And the eye cream that I have, I've been using it for like a week or two and I like it so far. No qualms with it. It didn't change my life, but, um, I think it's great if you want to, if you want to try it out, there's no reason to shy away from it. Yeah. And you've only had it a week. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say we get a lot of questions about specific brands. My response tends to be, is it professional grade? Mm -hmm. That's kind of, I think a great resource for filtering things out. And that's not to say all professional grade brands are amazing. There's, you know, of course, discrepancies and some are better than others, but I think that is a great starting point. And if people because you are an esthetician school now, you're going to get start getting a lot of questions from family and friends. What do you think of this line? It's almost like people think you have x-ray vision and you yeah. can just hear a product name and like know everything about it. But I think a good response for you guys to get in the habit is as professionals, which you are to say, you know, as a professional, I only recommend professional lines. So I can't recommend it at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah. And just always look it up. If people ask you, you can do your best, but like Tess said, we're not like mind readers and we don't have an infinite dictionary of every single skincare line out there. So yeah, look it up, make an informed decision. Um, but yeah. So the next question that we'll go over is, uh, just somebody wanting to know about the different types of acids. And we went over, um, chemical exfoliants in the last Q and a, but we have a little bit more to add. Yeah. Okay. So different types of acids. Okay. So let's start with alpha hydroxy acids. This is where you're going to have the biggest range. So your AHAs are your glycolics, your lactics, your malics, your tartarics, your mandelic and Mm -hmm. citric acids. So they can be great for exfoliating the skin, glycolic and lactic I think tend to be considered the most effective and they are a little bit 
stronger usually. And those are the types that are generally in things like peels. Mm -hmm. So those kind of work by unlocking that cement that holds the skin cells together. You want to kind of dislodge that glue so that, you know, oil can get out, moisture can get in, and you can give your clients that beautiful, you know, even tone and texture and glow. So I'm a big fan of AHAs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we have BHAs, which is actually only one acid, which is salicylic, um, which I think we all know is great for acne because it actually, the acid will actually go into the pore and break up um, sebum and dead skin cells. So it's great because a lot of other acids will just kind of sit on the surface of the skin, which has right. its benefit. But um, salicylic, especially for acne, is great because it goes into the pore and really helps to break all that stuff up that's that's sitting in there. So amazing for acne for spot treatment um, or in conjunction with other full face treatments. It's great. And it's also anti-inflammatory and mm-hmm. can be really calming. And I think that is important for acne. You want to kill it with kindness. You know, you don't want to totally strip the skin. So I think it can be drying, but in moderate use, I think it is a really important ingredient or especially if you struggle with blackheads, it's a really important one. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Okay. And let's talk about vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Um, So vitamin C has so many benefits from, you know, helping with someone's skin tone to the dullness. When people say they, what they ask, what can I use to get a bit of a glow in my skin? Vitamin C is usually a really great recommendation. And it's just wonderful in terms of strengthening the skin in general. And it's a great antioxidant. So I would say most people can really benefit from having a vitamin C in their routine. And I think a serum tends to be the best option as far as a vitamin C. I know a lot of companies put it in cleansers and moisturizers, which is fine. But if you are a like rinsing it off, it can't, it doesn't have time to like penetrate into the skin. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't be my preferred option. And as far as a moisturizer, I, I think it's a little tough because I think it's really hard for that ingredient to penetrate past, you know, a lot of thicker emollients. So I would say you're best off using a vitamin C in a serum. Yeah, definitely. Definitely serum form um, and use it in the morning because it does also provide a little layer of protection um, underneath your sunscreen. But there is, and Tess, tell me what you know about this because I've heard um, from certain formulators that there's a certain level of like ascorbic acid that is sun safe, but if it passes that certain level, then it can become photosensitive. So I don't think any serum that you buy, you know, over the counter would have that, that level of photosensitivity. Um, but it is something just to be aware of. So definitely use it in the morning, but just also, uh, make sure that what you are using is sun safe. That's interesting. I've, I've actually never heard that, but it, so we'll have to kind of circle back maybe. But I think one thing that is important is that um, there can be – a vi- there's so many vitamin Cs on the market. People yeah. know to look for it. But in terms of finding an effective formula, I think that's very tricky. So I would recommend going professional grade with a vitamin C serum. There's mm-hmm. a lot of big popular – brands and expensive vitamin C's that don't work in my opinion because of 
certain emollients and things that don't allow it to penetrate. Yeah. So I think vitamin C is just something you want to be very careful with. It can also degrade very easily. Yeah. So it's just a a tricky one and you want to keep it, you know, like out of sunlight. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we say go professional grade because when it comes to professional grade products, they've already thought about all this stuff Yeah, and they've, they've made it stable. They've made it effective. They've tested for purity. So just make it easy on yourself and invest. This is one of those products that I always say like, you know, top three products that you should invest in a vitamin C is, is top of the list. Yeah. And especially if you live in a city with a lot of pollution, it's a good one, but yeah. Yeah. Love a vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I think the last main one we'll mention is vitamin A or retinol, which is a big category, but it kind of tends to be the gold standard for anti-aging as well as a really effective acne treatment. Mm -hmm. So I think vitamin A is a great ingredient and there's so many levels. If you are just kind of, you know, wanting to dip your toe into it, there's over-the-counter options, which could be nice for you. But yeah, I, I love a, a vitamin A. And at our spa, a lot of times we even recommend if somebody's thinking about, you know, more serious procedures and treatments, a lot of times we say just like start with a retinol because it can really help with decreasing that depth of a wrinkle, improving your skin tone, just Mm -hmm. refining the surface of the skin and helping to, yeah, texture, helping with acne to kind of unclog those pores. So I think it's a really important ingredient and you would want to use it at nighttime. Yeah, definitely at nighttime because that one is absolutely photosensitizing. For sure. Yeah. Also with retinol, just to make sure you start slow. So, you know, kind of incorporate it once a week and then twice a week and um, don't go for a, a super high percentage to start out with because it is a pretty strong ingredient. So if you, if you go too hard, too fast, you can end up having a reaction to it, which, um, I had that experience. (laughs) It's not like, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you can't use it anymore. You just need to take it down a notch and then ease your skin into it. Well, when I started getting acne for the first time in my mid twenties and I went to see a dermatologist, no offense to germs, this was probably just somebody who didn't take enough time to get to know my skin, but they prescribed me, I think it was a 0.5% prescription tretinoin. And it was just, it was way too much for my skin. I'd never really even used actives before. And my skin just felt like it was on fire. Anytime I washed my face, like it was just peeling nonstop. So yeah. Yeah. Like Lauren said, I would ease into it with the vitamin A. Yes, definitely. (laughs) All right. So let's see. So next, okay. So the next question we want to do is comes from somebody on Instagram and it said, just because you love doing aesthetics on yourself, is it right for a career choice? And I think this is a really great question Hmm. because I think it kind of comes down to just questioning within yourself. Like, is this just something that's fun for a hobby or could I see myself doing this all day, every day as a career for the rest of my life? So, and I don't think there's necessarily like, one, you know, certain way to find out other than just kind of jumping into it and, you know, seeing what happens. And I mentioned in the previous episode that there were a couple people that I went to esthetician school with that ended up um, leaving halfway through just because 
you know, they got through it and they realized that, you know, they love skin, but it just wasn't necessarily a career choice for them. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, going to school and, you know, just making the leap is of course the most surefire way, way to know. But I also do think it's beneficial to, um, you know, go on Instagram, listen to podcasts, do your research and just kind of try to get as good of an idea of, what a day-to-day esthetician does and kind of what the career encompasses the good and the bad. And that can help you um, make a little bit more of an informed decision of what you, if you might like it and might want to do it all day, every day, or if you want it, you know, kind of as a side hustle, I don't know. I think you just kind of have to, you know, make Mm -hmm. your own choice on that. Yeah. It's so, it's so tough when I get questions about, you know, people's circumstances and whether they should pursue aesthetics over maybe getting a bachelor's degree or some other sort of job. It's so tough to answer because it is your personal choice and no one can ever understand your circumstances like you do. That said, I feel like life is about taking those leaps and I totally understand not everyone has the luxury in certain places or times of their life and seasons of their life. So it's such a personal choice, but I think it it is something, I think if you have a curiosity about something in general, if you can afford to, I think it's worth taking a leap because at the end of the day, the only real way to know if it is for you is to actually be the one, you know, in that chair doing the job. You can watch as as many YouTube videos, you know, as you can. But I mean, I didn't know what it would fully entail until I was in that position. And there can be long days. There are certainly days you're tired and maybe something's come up in your life and you're not in the best headspace, but you have to kind of perform. So yeah. there's just things you learn with putting yourself out there that no one else can tell you. So yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that this also segues in into really nicely into another one of the questions, which is what is the time commitment and cost of becoming an esthetician? And this is going to vary state by state uh, because some, I mean, some States require 1200 hours to be an esthetician. Some States like California um, are 600. Some States are 300. So it really just depends Mm. where you are and that will depend how much time and that will also I, I would assume depend the cost depend on the cost but the cost also depends on what school you choose so I mean I remember when I was when I was going to school back in the day it was like Paul Mitchell was one of the big ones in the area that I was mm-hmm. and it was like I mean it was like ten thousand dollars for the course and I ended up choosing a um, a course through a community college which was um, actually really highly regarded, regarded in the industry, but it was only, I think $1,200 or $1,500. Um, and that didn't include the kit, which is like another, um, $800. But anyway, so it is, I mean, could be a couple thousand dollars. Again, this was a long time ago, so I don't know how Mm -hmm. much that has changed, but I Mm -hmm. think it depends on where you go and what state you are in, but that can also be a determining factor on whether or not you can take that leap or want to take that leap because if you can afford it and you have the time to go to night school so you can keep your daytime job and you're willing to make that time commitment, then I say go for it and try it and see how you like it. If it's not for you, then it's not for you. And it could be the cost is so hard to 
pinpoint because it could be anywhere, like you said, a private school, $25,000 or whatever it may be these days to a couple thousand dollars. And then maybe you have some grants or you get some scholarships or FAFSA plays into it like it, it did for me. And it was, you know, at the end of the day, a couple thousand dollars, which was workable. So it's so difficult. I would say the best thing you can do is uh, go to a few schools, do some tours, ask the logistical questions, actually have a YouTube video on questions to ask on your tour, if that helps anyone. Yeah. But I think, yeah, in general, the best way to like find these things out is to go seek out the answers for yourself because things like a school cost or a salary, that's also localized. So I would say, you know, go on those informational interviews and ask for ranges of spas in your area because they can all have different pay structures. So yeah, it just, it all varies. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So something a little lighter. Um, (laughs) So one other question was devices that we like to use. So again, we did another episode on this. If you guys want more in depth on this, but my favorite devices are a cleansing device. And I like to use a Foreo mm. because it's silicone, antibacterial, never replace a brush head. It's gentle on the skin, all that good stuff. Um, also, Tess and I both, we love a cold roller. It's like We love a cold one roller. Of, oh my God. One of, it's literally 30 degrees out in Denver and <laughs> a cold roller still every night. Never too cold for a cold roller. No. Um, we also love gua sha for um, facial massage. It's going to help. Um, really sculpt your face, push out those toxins, mm. get your blood flow going, um, help to improve muscle tone. I mean, the you know the benefits are endless when it comes to gua sha um, and a jade roller as well. We love a jade roller. Yeah. And lastly, for home use, I love um, a microcurrent device like a new face um, mm-hmm. to help tone your facial muscles and give you that plump kind of you know just youthful young look to your skin. Yeah, there's so many great ones on the market. Mm-hmm. And we also have a tools episode where we dive more into what each of these devices we've mentioned do for the skin. So that is out there if you want to listen. And then on this note, one thing we just wanted to say was that we know there are a lot of professional tools being, you know, kind of translated into the mainstream these days. So things like microdermabrasion and there's spatulas you can get at Sephora. We would just say, I think these services are are best left to professionals because I think the normal consumer doesn't have an understanding of the contraindications that can be involved of the structures of the skin and how you can actually do more harm than good. Say, for example, with an at-home microderm device, somebody may not know not to work over inflamed acne or over, you know, prominent distended capillaries. It could really cause a problem for them and just be way more expensive in the long term. So I would say just leave a lot of the professional tools to the professionals. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the reason that professional tools are for professionals is because first of all, they're not suitable for all skin types and all skin conditions and you have to know how to use them. You know, it's not like one or two setting, you know, you have to have this knowledge of skin and the structure of the skin to understand how to use it in a safe manner. That's the whole reason that they're, they are designed for professional use. So don't, 
please don't buy anything on Amazon that's like supposed to be for professional use only. You just, oh, it's it's so sad to, you know, when somebody comes into your treatment room and they say, oh, I got this and and it did this now. How do I make this go away? Or they have a scar or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. leave it to the professionals and you'll be, I think, much better off that way. Yeah. Okay. And then the next question we got was actually about men's skincare. We actually got this question twice. So we thought it would be nice to highlight. And I know Lauren, you did that whole dedicated post on your Instagram, which is at Lauren's aesthetics. And we always put our handles in the show notes, by the way, but Lauren, what would be your recommendations for a men's routine? So I think I think there's there's a number of different things that for men you have to kind of take into account and mm-hmm. not to be like a totally sexist or like stereotype guys but for the for the vast majority of guys that I have experienced they they don't want a, a, like a million different products to use. I literally had one of my friends the other day ask me if there's a wipe that will do everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like ah! really. Um, (laughs) But so, so I think simplicity when it comes to guys is great. Now guys do tend to have their skin is slightly different than women's skin, just in the sense that it's a little thicker. They've got facial hair and they're tend to have oilier skin from their testosterone. However, they're not so vastly different that they have to use quote unquote men's products. Do you know what I mean? So they can still use a vitamin C, they can use a retinol. Um, they just might not want to. So when it comes to guys, Um, so especially for girls, if you're listening and thinking for your boyfriends, your husbands, start them slow and start them simple. So cleanse morning and night, moisturize morning and night and SPF. So Mm -hmm. generally that is, that's enough for them. And usually once they start doing that and they realize that their skin feels good when they actually take care of it and they, their skin starts to look good when they're taking care of it, then they can start introducing things like a vitamin C serum or an eye cream maybe, or do you know what I mean? So also Mm -hmm. an exfoliant I think is important for guys because they do have oilier skin. So just starting them small, cleanse, moisturize, SPF and exfoliate a couple times a week. Keep it easy. Maybe don't buy them any pink jar products because (laughs) guys can be weird. Uh, But yeah, just simple, uh, simple, you know, routine for them morning and night just to get them started. And then once they're comfortable with that, then they can branch out and they can use all the same products that you're using. There's nothing that's, you know, specifically for women that's gonna mess them up. Yeah, I actually just got my boyfriend on a little skincare routine. I'm so excited. He's like actually doing the things. Because this is how lost he would be without me. He was using a sunscreen <laughs> at night because he thought, I'm sorry, I don't mean to oh, laugh. Oh, bless. Bless his heart. But he was using his sunscreen at night because it was like a built-in moisturizer sunscreen. But he's just like clogging his pores at yeah. night. So we had to reorganize a few things. But yeah. he's doing it. And yeah, we just started off simple with like the cleanser, toner, moisturizer and he loves it he's like I'm out of my concert what do I do next but yeah I think starting off on those basics is great and of course a sunscreen would be important and priority for daytime but like those four I think that's beautiful and some some guys may want to do more some may want to do less but just making sure you have the foundations covered and I think a lot of times there can be confusion about you know like multi-purpose products like 
a moisturizer sunscreen or an exfoliant, you know, cleanser that maybe they're using every day. Not to imply that all men don't know what they're doing, but this is just experiences I've had in the past. But yeah, I think just being simple is a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Not that they're simple-minded. I feel like I'm <laughs> offending someone. Yeah, but. no, no offense. I mean, but but also, I mean, you know, if a guy were to like try to tell us how to fix our car, and again, not to be totally sexist, like I know some women know a lot about cars, but like for me, if a guy tried to tell me how to fix my car that was broken down, I'd be like, what? Like I have, yeah. would have no idea. So I just feel no. like there's certain things that, you know, that just go hand in hand with guys. Blame it on society. Like, yeah. We were, you know, around and not everyone, but I think a a majority of women, like we were handed magazines and these things, Mm -hmm. but it's not as commonplace for men. And actually it's interesting talking with Preston, who we've had on the podcast before, who's an acne specialist. He was saying, I wish more guys got into this career because it's such a wonderful career and it's yeah, not just for women. It, it can be an amazing business opportunity, but there are those stereotypes. But anyway, yeah. we are well, getting carried away. <laughs> I know, seriously. Um, okay, so so next question. Let's see. Um, okay, popping pimples at home is it safe mm-hmm. or should you avoid it? So, I would say there is a specific scenario when it can be done at home, but you want to make sure, and I'm not advocating people go home and go crazy when they have a white head, but I would say if it has come to a clear head, you can attempt to extract it gently after cleansing the skin, after, you know, having a shower when the steam has the chance to soften the sebum. Your pores don't actually open and close. They're not like trap doors, but it it gives the skin an opportunity to soften so that you can possibly safely extract. But I would say always wrap your fingers in tissue Mm -hmm. and you can do like a little, a gentle rocking motion. But if it doesn't come out after the first or second attempt, I would say you're better off walking away scheduling a facial, but I know there are those times like in between appointments when it just happens. And I would say the tools, I know oftentimes clients kind of have those at home extractor tools. I would say they're kind of best left to estheticians just because you can do more harm than good. You can damage the skin and extractions are just very tricky. And I don't want to regret saying this because if it's not if it's not ready you can spread the bacteria you can damage Mm -hmm. the skin so I'm not advocating for at-home extractions um but it's also I think unrealistic to think that that people aren't going to try to do their own extractions because I mean even myself and I'll speak for myself won't speak for any other estheticians but even myself sometimes I go too far I'm trying to get a you know a breakout out and I go too far and it happens so but but also that's us coming from a professional standpoint and we know what's right and what's wrong. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, knowing knowing when it's ready, like when you can try to extract it, knowing how to do it, like pressing down instead of pressing in. 
Mm. and not using your nails and wrapping your fingers with some tissue to create some softness around it. There's just a lot of things that you can do to minimize the damage that you might cause. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, like Tess said, if it's not coming out in like one or two tries, or if you're starting to see some blood, then you got to (laughs) stop. Right. And you also, I think another thing that a lot of people don't know is you need to get the whole of the infection out because if you leave some in there, you know, it may stay there for a while. And again, then you're, you're worse off than you were in the beginning, but you want to make sure you extract, you know, the blood and the lymph, that clear fluid. So Mm -hmm. you got to get it all out. And that goes for, you know, your clients as well. You want thorough extractions, clean extractions. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's just, but it's just sparingly, you know, so, and I think follow up with something anti-inflammatory, like a little salicylic or benzoyl. Also icing your breakout can be a huge game changer to take that inflammation down. But, you know, even if you haven't popped it, just icing it to kind of get that inflammation down um, can do wonders for a breakout. So, I mean, it's unrealistic to think that people aren't going to do it at home, but if you are just take all the necessary precautions and I mean, bottom line, if it's not working out for you, then just get a facial, have it done professionally because in the long run, you'll thank yourself because you're not going to have scarring, you know, and you're not going to be spreading your back, the bacteria. A lot of times I have, um, people that ask me, they're like, I keep breaking out in this one area. And I'm like, okay, well, are you, are you, popping your your pimples there and they say yeah I'm trying not to but I am and you know usually if you're breaking out just in one little area over and over again and you're popping those pimples it's just because you're spreading that bacteria so as you know counterintuitive as it might seem leave it alone go seek professional help or just use your spot treatments and it'll mm-hmm. it'll fare a lot better for you that way And on that note, I would say your AHAs, BHAs, that's where they are truly your best friend. If you're kind of in that vicious cycle of acne, a lot of times you need, you know, an ingredient to penetrate deeper and kind of dislodge those cells. If you are breaking out in the same place over and over again, that's where, um, you know, those acids may come into play. Yeah, definitely. You might just need a little help there, but don't be, don't be popping too much. Don't take, yeah, don't make us regret saying this. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Let's see. Where can we go next? Facial frequency. So I would say that I think the general kind of rule has been for a while, like monthly facials are ideal because that is kind of that's kind of in line with the cell turnover process every 30 days or so mm-hmm. um you know and that's over what's the age Lauren I mean that's kind of a generalized statement I would say yeah. that's a, for like average mid 20 and 30 year olds yeah it starts to slow down I think at age like 22 to 25 is when you start to add a day on for every year is kind of oh my gosh standard yeah (laughs) okay well and I will say with that I think if you have the proper home care you can possibly go a little longer in between Mm -hmm. treatments but it all depends on you know the conditions you're dealing with if somebody is suffering with severe acne they may need to be seen a lot more regularly just to you know get those extractions out get the skin in a more balanced place Mm -hmm. um but about every month 
two every eight weeks, I think is kind of a a nice general rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think just the conditions you're working with is one of the, one of the main things, but yeah, four to eight weeks is, is ideal for pretty much everyone. And you might need to go a little more frequently if you're dealing with something that's needs a little bit more of aggressive attention. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think you think that's a good place to. I think to that's a good spot. Yeah. Cool. We've been rambling for forty minutes now. I know. I love it. So, somehow it feels like ten minutes, but every time I look up, like all of our episodes are, we got a lot to say, people. We could do this all day. Literally, we could. Yeah, we do. So, thank you for listening to us. We appreciate every single one of you. Every time we see an episode go live and start watching you guys listening to it, we love it. We do. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. We will talk to you in the next episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.